from Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to read from verse 1 to the end of verse 9. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 to the end of verse 9. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I'm Paul Yodia, and I'm Paul Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I note you also, true companion, help these women who laboured with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. The God of peace will be with you. Amen. Amen. That is the word of God. Well, there is a title, a simple title, to go with our thoughts this evening. Are you rejoicing? No, I'm going to stop and ask myself, am I rejoicing? Very well for a preacher to stand here in front of the congregation and ask some searching questions, but I better ask them of myself as well. Am I rejoicing? Because I read in here that that's what I'm meant to do as a believer. Rejoice in the Lord always. All the words there carry weight, don't they? Always. And again, I will say rejoice. Almost as if you didn't quite hear it the first time, I'll say it again. I say to you, rejoice. And maybe for the church in Philippi, which here is a recipient of a letter, a very positive letter, a letter that's not finding a lot of difficulty to resolve, although famously there's Yodia and Syntyche. And I wonder how they received that. Because we learn really from the context of it that they were concerned there was the apostle in prison. Wait a minute. Where is this going to? Apostle in prison, this man that we, we loved and who represents here for us the truth in prison. Something gone wrong. Are things not going to plan? And so Paul is bringing to them news. No, I'm in prison. You be rejoicing. I'm here in chains. You be rejoicing always. And he's not just saying something that he himself is not doing. He's not giving advice and counsel that he sort of absents himself from. Well, the Pharisees were the experts, weren't they, at uh, putting loads upon people that they themselves would not lift uh, with one finger, as it were. But Paul is not that kind of man. And he's been thoroughly worked through by grace. His words are inerrant words. And so when he gives an instruction to us as believers, it's not coming from some abstract place or some unreality, but that this, this is actually normal Christian life that he's speaking about here. This is something that is reachable, attainable, 
a state of Christian living and experience that's, that is the norm. And so he is really putting it to the church. Have you been anxious? He talks about being anxious for nothing, praying for these blessings of God, that he would have them rejoice, even though he's in prison and in chains, and, and even though they rightly looked up to him as representing there the, the, the truth of the gospel, as that ambassador who brought to them the, the good news in the first place and lays down authoritative teaching for the church, but is now in prison. And that that's, they should not feel somehow takes away the place that we have as Christians where actually we have good grounds, sufficient grounds to rejoice. Because you notice it doesn't just say rejoice, but it says in the Lord, in the Lord. That there is a context in the Lord where rejoicing actually should come more naturally, more instinctively, more readily. And so in a sense it's that, isn't it, in the Lord. What does that mean? And how does that apply to us? Because that I think is the key, is it not, to our change within, that change within that brings into us a state of mind, a, a kind of motor within where joy is like a dominant feature of it. So here we are, this command to rejoice. It's there in chapter 3, verse 1. No surprise, chapter 4, verse 4, having it. It's there in chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Again, not just rejoice as though it's something you, you just do, you don't have to have any reason for it, but just sort of put on a, a happy face and just be sort of cheery, optimistic kind of people. No, this is all logic here. This is a logical response to what we have as Christians in the Lord. That being in the Lord, living in the context of living in the Lord provides for us the resources, the reasons, the power, the, the whole ground for rejoicing. So is this a reasonable question to ask you, to ask myself tonight? Are you rejoicing? Well, come to that, am I rejoicing? Is it a question that we might validly ask? Yes. It's almost suggested in this, isn't it? And I wonder if the church in Philippi, their anxieties and their burdens for Paul and with the persecution that was rife in that part of the world. Well, they asked themselves, what am I rejoicing? He's rejoicing in a prison cell, chained, outcome, perhaps beginning to feel that the Lord is going to deliver him, which indeed did happen on this, this first occasion of imprisonment, didn't the second time, but this first time, yes. He's rejoicing. He's found that place in Christ, in God, then what about us here today, as with the church there in Philippi? My first heading, Christianity is not stupid. Right? Christianity is not stupid. Well, go out there in the world and I'll tell you probably the first thing. It's as dumb a thing as there is. Christians, poor, feeble-minded creatures that they are, go to a place of work and they'll disparage it as though we are the saddest people. We're just a bunch of losers here. Uh, and this is dumb stuff. We know better. In fact, we know much better than the world itself that makes these comments. No, it's real life. Christians live real life. And if they tell us that they're not, um, that somehow they're just 
breeze through them. Whatever rejoicing means, though, it just means that you're almost immune to any kind of pain or sorrow. I'm sorry, that kind of Christianity is a bit stupid. It's not real. We're real flesh and blood people, and we're meant to be. If you read the Apostle Paul, who's telling us to rejoice in the Lord always, he'll tell you. Times he felt the sentence of death in his heart. Times there, the burdens of ministry and the care for the church was, was so overwhelming to him. No, the real Christian life is a very full life. Full of thought, full of different feelings, different impacts that come to us and how they evoke in our soul a different response. And rightly so. Christians grieve. Rightly so. Wow, if it's a believer that's passed away, we don't grieve like the world that has no hope, sure. But we still grieve. We miss loved ones. We miss their faces, their voices, their contribution. We grieve. Rightly so. If we didn't, we might wonder just who, who we were. We feel vexed. Vexed about this world that we live in. Yeah. It was said, isn't it, there about Lot in Sodom, that he, he was vexed, his righteous soul. Well, that speaks well of Lot, that we may wonder at his decision-making that took him there. But here we are. We, we haven't, uh, I guess, there, chosen this will be our nation and that we will live in this particular period of time. But here we find ourselves providentially. And if we're not vexed by it, again, I wonder, who are we? There's so much happening in wider culture, in society. They're talking to a friend before the service and Christian Institute and all of their concerns that they bring to our attention. And their concerns indeed. That we're not quite sure now what a man is and a woman is tells us we've reached a pretty bad place. And we are vexed about it. It, it, it. it makes us suffer. We feel an indignation. We feel horror. We feel amazement and marvel at it. But that is sin, and we see it writ large in our culture. Mm. It makes us sorrowful. It makes us, perhaps at times, be tearful about it. To watch, what dare we say it, a country that we love, the people that we love, declining spiritually and morally, bringing upon ourselves shame and disgrace, earning the uh, displeasure of God upon us and upon our national life. We grieve. We feel vexed. And it's right that we should, that we are not just made of wood or some other substance. We're meant to feel this. Our Lord Jesus Christ wept there at the, the tomb of Lazarus. He felt it, felt what the reality of death was, what it meant for us as people, what it left by way of a legacy of sadness and sorrow and unanswered questions and the rest of it. So Christianity is not about some life that is in some weird sphere where we're untouched by the world that we lived in. No, we're very much touched by it. And there's right time to sorrow. There's a white, right time to weep. There's a right time to be righteously angry and to act in good principle upon that. So we look at the world and wonder, is it getting any better? Well, we look at it and we wonder. And we carry that burden, don't we, very much into our prayer life. But while we say that, so often, isn't it? Joy is spoken about in Scripture. Here is Paul repeating it, chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 4, twice over, multiplied, if you will. But our minds are still to focus on that which is essential and structural to who we are. That is the foundation for your life and for mine. 
But it's, it isn't this um, impermanent, sad, sick, evil world that once upon a time we were right embedded in, and now we're so wrong. And it's, it's not that everywhere we see death and decay, but it is this, that underpinning us and undergirding us is that we are in the Lord. Yeah. That all our life, yeah. our sorrows, yeah. all that vexes us, it's actually in the Lord. It's because we're the Lord's people and related to him that we feel the way we do, that we feel the sorrows we do. And once we used to be part of the problem, we would have been very happy out in that world, but not anymore. Because we're now in the Lord. And he is in us, dwelling by his spirit. His spirit can be grieved, as it were, and grieve us about the world that we are in. Grieve us about who, who we are and who we should be. Because undergirding us is something strong and permanent. It's rock, isn't it? That's the world it doesn't have that. It's building everything there on shifting sands. It's got that which won't withstand flood and and the winds beating against it, it will fall. And how great will be its fall. But not for the believer. We have foundations. And enduring everything that comes our way, the stresses, the trials of life, we have foundations. We still stand. Though we're vexed, and though we're grieved, and though we're maybe persecuted, though we may lose our work, and watching our finances at the moment, and energy bills going out through the roof, we have concerns. But beneath it all, underlying it all, gets down to who we really are. But who we really are is the people that we are in the Lord. That we're Christians, that's our identity. I belong to this group, or that group, or the other group. Not a Christian, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is actually there at the very foundation of my life. He gives it reason, he gives it purpose, he gives it meaning. And so we have an essential hope an essential knowledge because we have an essential relationship with him. It's in the Lord. And he in his mercy made that relationship to be the relationship that you and I have with him for reasons I cannot explain to you here today. Why us? Why did he make that to be your way of peace? Why did he reveal that to you? Why did he reveal it to me? But in mercy he did made the cross to make sense and made his son to make sense god and man and yes he is and he needed to be both in order for me to be saved from my sin that's exactly who he was and that's exactly what he did you and i believed in him if we're believers in him indeed tonight and then we have that essential relationship in the lord and it's actually when we stop and consider i'm following from that this this which is the essential Christian life, our relationship with Christ, our relationship with the Father, our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Well, there, there is abundant reason for rejoicing. Not an empty-headed kind of rejoicing, not some kind of make it up here and that's a nice song and I'm feeling quite bright with that sort of rejoicing. But everyday rejoicing, Monday rejoicing, Tuesday rejoicing. Wednesday, rejoicing. You know, rejoicing because nothing's actually changed. That relationship that he's established with each of us, the covenant that he's made, all the promises that he's given to you and to me stand yeah. firm. Let the world do what it will. This yeah. stands firm. Mm. Let your health do what it will. This stands firm. The place of employment. Let that do as it will. But this stays firm. So reasons then 
to be joyful. Let's just say this. That's not my second hand, but let's just say this. The world doesn't laugh for you, though. But it's got no reason to laugh. It has no reason to be joyful. No, because it doesn't have that essential relationship. The world, and it's say, woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you who laugh now. This is your only moment you'll have, because the rest hereafter will be sadness, despair, and misery. You don't know Christ. Well, dear friends, if that's you tonight, you don't know Christ. I was out uh, a few Saturdays ago. I don't have to avoid travelling on Saturday. I just find it so uncomfortable. The world is out there. People leisure travel. Put that in inverted commas. Young people flooding into the city centres there. I knocked you on the train. I am. They were already by about half ten, eleven o'clock in the morning. And soon a fair amount of alcohol. What they're like by the time you get to Saturday evening, I dread to think. And there they are, there's some laughter, language which goes about laughter that we'd rather not hear. Fake tan, fake eyelashes, isn't it good law? Amounts of that, I saw that Saturday I was out there. I tell you, I should get out more, shouldn't I? I see the world being this Maybe I shouldn't, but uh, I had a bit of football thrown in. But that's, that's the big take there. Oh, I came through um, Askin this morning. And somebody had their Barnsley football club flag <laughs> fluttering there. Well, like Derby County, I think they both dropped and they to the, the league below. There'll be some tears shed over that. The football result goes the right way, there's joy. Reading suddenly lost great. That's Derby County saved. Except Reading didn't lose, and that was Derby County relegated. Joy hinging upon that. And that's it, folks. That's all that they have. And they'll be gone. And they'll be gone. And they'll regret that they didn't in this life find what really counted, what was really foundational. No, the world has, has no reasons to be joyful, really, or essentially. It has, no, it has no reasons. It has no future, and it has no hope. And it may feel that we're the people without any future, any hope. I'm completely wrong. And so let's see what we have here. And really we have here, oh, these are simple things, aren't they? Basic things, but we forget them. That you and I have a saviour. You and I have a saviour. I think I should finish the sermon there. It's all said. You and I have a saviour. There was one who cared for your soul and mine. When, well, I don't know the fake tan and the fake eyelashes, but anyway, could have been there, couldn't it? Could have been you, could have been me, football, nightclubs, whatever else it was that these folks are going to. Just dying. Dying. In a state of death and dying. And that was us once, and now it's not. Now we prefer our Sundays here, and we prefer our leisure time better spent than that. And our hopes and our joys are not pinned upon a football team or a night out here and there, but upon the Saviour who loved you and loved me and gave himself for us because he would, because he was willing. Because he, he knew you and he knew me before we were ever born, and a purpose for you and for me that we should be saved out of that. That his mercy should reach to you, reach to me, place us in the safekeeping now of the Son. His blood that availed for you and availed for me should continue to avail for us for all eternity. And now we look on judgment to come, judgment for sin, and we can say, yes. There's still a lot of sin here. There's still a lot locked up here. The old man fights back. The old nature 
still argues with me over much, and at times I yield to him. But I know this, that he's answered for that, and will answer it on the day of judgment. And, and we'll come to it in a moment, so that as long as I'm putting up a fight myself against sin, and haven't just come to some accommodation with it, well, he will answer for all the insufficiencies, the inadequacies, all the failure that is there. He's answered for hell, but that's no longer what I need to fear. When you go to your bed at night, who knows, it may be your last night, it may be mine, mm-hmm. that you will not awake in hell, but in paradise. I remember when uh, going to hospital, and it was a fair tricky off, and they had to warn me, you could die. You know that, you, you could die. Okay, I heard that. And I thought, but the fact is, my last view of this world will not be the kind of darker recesses of the Hallamshire and Sheffield. It'll be glory. I'll be with Christ. And so, well, come what may, and I was very confident in truth that this op was going to work okay, because I thought God had put me in that place to have that operation. And indeed it is, well, they fiddle around inside my head with this particular op there, and whether it's come out right, you be the judges of that, and maybe you're just too kind to tell me that it didn't quite turn out so well, but there we are. The Lord, I think, brought me through that. There was death, but there was paradise, if not this life, then the next. And it wouldn't be hell. And I thought, well, the first face I will see will be my saviors in the Lord. Because though I know myself to be still a sinner, and I know that I can still fail miserably, but he's answered for it. And his love for me and for you, he will never, ever sever. Psalm 32, and uh, some words from there, the first two verses, in fact, blessed. Blessed, you hear that word, blessed. Oh, happy day, we're singing. Blessed, happy is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed, because you are in that happy state of having a Savior who saved you from your sin and holds you for eternity, that none can pluck you from his Father's hands. And we are safe, safe forever. He's mighty to save. Isaiah chapter 45, and just a, a portion there of verse 21. And well, let me read on verse 21. Tell and bring forth your case. It's the challenge, isn't it, to those who dispute? Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? The idols managed this, but they didn't see it coming. Who has told it from that time? Have not I, the Lord? Yes. And is there no other God? There is no other God besides me. A just saviour, a just God and a saviour. There is none besides me. And we need none besides him. God and a saviour. That is what you have. That's what I have tonight. And when you rest tonight, maybe you've got another day he'll give you. Monday, the 25th of April or dawn. Well, well and good. But it means still the same. You have a saviour who is with you, so capable, so excellent, so noble in death. And he died like this, no wonder the centurion of the cross said, surely this is the Son of God. Surely nobody has ever died on his watch like this who has been crucified. The, the, the way in which he bore it, the way in which he, he prayed for his persecutors, the way that he communed with his heavenly Father in such a composure, 
Yet, when in the midst of such trial, would it left him speechless and astonished, so noble in death, so wise in all his words, and the counsel that he gave to the apostles, and all that we have in the New Testament that's there for us to read. And we can be so, so satisfied in that work. Your guilty conscience seeks no sacrifice beside in the eyes of what's him. Really does, friends, if you're still perplexed and in doubt, still uncertain about the sufficiency, then look and look again at this Saviour. You have this Saviour, John 5, verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, well, that's got my attention straight away. He's saying this is solemn, and I want you to hear this. I want you to know that this is so, so true. What is it that he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life? Has passed from death into life. Not that you might then slip back from life into death. Not that you might then find yourself without everlasting life and coming into judgment. No, emphatically not. It's accomplished and it's finished. Once we have closed with Christ and believed in him, then this is all past tense. Past tense was judgment. Past tense was death. Now it's life. Life eternal. Everlasting life. That's the permanence of the work. That's the success of the victory of the cross. That is done. And we are to be satisfied in it. Assured in it. At peace with this work. Knowing that, no, not your performance, nor mine. Not your state of spiritual well-being or a sense of purpose there. No. Good to have, I'm sure. But no, that's not what this is about. It's about him. And that we are to be satisfied in the sufficiency of him who died upon the cross. Friends, we have a saviour. And the results of that should be this. We're not frozen by guilt, yes. That guilt, look at our own sin, look at our own hearts. What am I contributing to the, the work of the gospel? What indeed? 21 years of the pastor of Christ Baptist Church, I blush. What has accomplished in those years? But it's not about that, it's about him. And rather than being frozen by guilt, because I can think of nothing more likely to suck joy out of your heart and mind than to be frozen by guilt, or paralysed by fear. Fear? Fear of death? Fear of... So in the corner, fear of providence. Why, when God is sovereign, and when he's promised that you've actually passed from, from death into life, and that no longer now you're in judgment, but you, you've come safely through that. And still, as Christians, can be afraid. And what's it say here? Yes, but I'm afraid. Well, then we need to look more often at what he's done, and be satisfied that what he says is true. And when he says most assuredly, it's always because... <laughs> He knows our heart, that we are likely to succumb to a lack of assurance. So he would emphasize it, just as Paul says twice over, rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. We have a saviour who helps us not be consumed by anxiety. Again, if you want to destroy joy, then let anxiety grow in your heart and in mind, which surely will suffocate you. We have a saviour, and really what next I have to say follows, that we therefore have a future. We have a future. 
And that future, as you know and I know, stretches beyond this world into the next. All there, in fact, Paul has already prepared us for this. Philippians 3, verse 20 and following, for our citizenship is in heaven, which we, which we also eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. That solves it there. You and I have a future. That's a very bright future and a very hopeful future. And even your sicknesses and mine, and don't get me started on those. I can bore Russell here and anime to death with all my sicknesses. And I'm sure you've got a fair few you could tell me about as well. He can subdue all that. And he can subdue your concerns and your fears. He can subdue the persecution. He can bring everything, however fierce it may be. And even if it does kill us, no matter, he is able to subdue death. That's the last enemy and it's conquered. Yeah. That's the resurrection. That was where we were last Lord's Day here, isn't it? And we're always there because it's always a truth to be reminded of. That's the future. And it's the future that he's given to us. And it's the future he's shown us in himself when he came back from the dead. That's his citizenship, isn't it, heaven? His time on earth and his state of humiliation was but a temporary thing. Now restored, the God-man restored to glory. He's taken our humanity to glory. That is our future too. We are waiting for him from heaven and he will transform our lowly body. Lowly indeed it is. Weak it is indeed. Powerless at times it is indeed. But transformed it will be. Conformed to his glorious body. And so when you read a few verses on, rejoice in the Lord always. Even in death, that always. Even in sickness, that always. Yes, there's reason. However, you may feel because of health, and health does affect us, it does affect us badly in that way. And that's, that's only natural. But yet you can still turn your thoughts and say, oh, yes, this is hard, but it's temporary. This is difficult, yeah. but he can subdue all the corruption of my body and make a glorious body one day. He can overcome and he can overturn this. That's my future. That's your future. And that should make us well, very happy in the depths of our being. That, that's, that's the basic there. That's the basic ingredient. This isn't just that the icing on the cake, that, oh, it's all suffering, and it's always endurance there. Yeah, sure, there's a lot of that. But don't just think of joy as the, the icing on the cake, an occasional moment of that. No, it's part of the basic ingredient of the Christian life, because it flows from the logic of who Christ is and what he's done and where he's taking us to the hope of a wonderful future in the glory of heaven. This world is beautiful. I think, how can you have an atheist in England in spring? How can it be that in this glorious spring, leaves now sprouting before our eyes, oh, beautiful meadows and the rest of it. I, I'm no poet, I won't go further than that. But waxing lyrical would fail at that point. But yeah, how can anybody deny the existence of God here at this season? Oh, and yes, that they do. And we can love rightly, love places, love things, love these events. But they can't bear our greatest hopes and expectations. Spring gives way to summer, gives way to the autumn, and all before we know it, we're back in the winter and everything. Yeah, we know that. 
This earth is not meant to be our final home, even at its best, at its most beautiful. Our hopes, our joys, our longings and expectations will only properly be met in heaven itself. That can bear the weight of our joys. That can bear the weight of our expectations and exceed them. Yeah. This world, even at its best, will always in some measure there disappoint. Friends, at the moment, you and I, there's our future secure, it's sealed, that's our citizenship. And it doesn't get revoked, there's no uh, sudden kind of change of government and invasion and, and we're no longer a part of where we thought we were. No, that's secure. And this life is just full of wonder, a life that's full of expectation, because God is at work in your life and in mine. It may not be spectacular, but is at work quietly subduing sin within you, quietly reminding you of the glory of the Son of God, giving you a, a hymn from somewhere that just lives with you in the week, or, or a passage of scripture that there is just lit up to you. Well, I don't know, what something the preacher might even have said. It just catches a moment there, and you take that with you, and you're thinking of Christ a little more deeply. And when you pray, there's a little more heart there. There's, there's something more because he became something more. He got a bit bigger, more important, more wonderful. The power of the cross struck you with a freshness. Do you know what the result of that will be? Rejoicing. Not just some sudden, I don't know, joy that lasts a moment, but a satisfaction and a peace, a, a hope, something that makes the world just more a place where you can be and where you can serve Christ irrespective of what's going on around you. Yeah. And where you know that he's there and you're assured that he's there. And those most assuring is that he said are just a little bit more deeply impacted. Let me finish. Why are we more joyful in my last heading? Well, I'll offer you this one. First of all, you're not converted. There's a stark one and a challenge to you there, dear friend. You're not converted. Does nothing of Christ reach your heart? Can nothing of his truth find you and, and, and make you just be stirred somewhere? Then maybe you don't know him. Maybe you need to know him. Maybe you need to be converted, dear friend. That I must urge you, therefore, waste no time on that. This world, I'm telling you this, is going to fail you. And you will fail it. You won't bring much to it if you're still in your sin. You can be as successful as you might claim to be. Still, the essential thing, you miss the mark, you'll fail. And you will fail to be in heaven. Tragedy. Search for him, seek him while he may be found. You make your peace with him. You look, he's made his peace with sinners on the cross. You need no other saviour. Yeah. But it could be. Somewhere as Christians, we're missing the point. An insufficient Christ who can't quite save us to the uttermost. But you still feel said earlier there, that time he had to learn, I, I was trusting in myself. Well, he speaks for us all. We all of us are guilty of that, aren't we? That we, we're looking to ourselves in this. We looked away from Christ. We sing about the cross, but we look away from him. And it's back to you and back to me. That's a thankless place to be. And that's not a sufficient Christ. The Christ that you and I are meant to believe in saves us to the uttermost. Perhaps we've grown careless in our relationship. Cold-hearted. Perhaps we're not praying as once we did. Fellowship, once once we did. Had to be back gathered in one place again. There we are, we can exhort each other and encourage each other and, and sing hymns. 
tried to sing hymns as we did tonight. There we did fine, friends. We did fine. Back together, corporate worship, and that's how it's meant to be. But if you step back from it, and step back from prayer, and oh, I'm not so enthusiastic about the work and the service of the local church, then you will lose sight of him. You won't see so much of him. He's to be found at the Lord's table when the church gathers. He's to be found when the word of God is preached and when scripture is read. He's to be found. We are singing his worship, admonishing one another in spiritual songs. This collective that we all believe this and we all as one singing this. There's something very spiritual in that. But if we're careless about it, we'll miss the way. Holding to sin. I mentioned that earlier. Here it is. We can all of us be guilty of harbouring sin, secret sins. I think we actually had it in one of the, the songs this evening. Secret sins there. Those things that we just never confess. There is nothing more injurious to our beholding Christ better and having the joy that should come from it if we are holding on to sin. Nothing. Nothing is more injurious. And I chide myself, I've been so slow at times to repent. So slow at times to confess things. Oh, that blessing of confession. And then a release from that. And the power of things diminishes. And the attraction of things diminishes. And things that were in a bit of an out-of-kilter place find their proper place under his lordship. Yeah. And the things move on much better after that. Yeah. Do you need to repent? This is as simple as that. Are you rejoicing? No. Then do you need to repent? Do you have some attitude, some pride, unbelief, covetousness, idolatry? And we can all be guilty of those things. And sometimes we haven't even thought about it deeply enough. We think, about, wait a minute, why do we always feel this way about that thing? And we ask a bit further and inquire in our soul. An idol. It was an idol. And it was masquerading as something else. It was in disguise. But I've got there now. God has shown me an idol in my heart. I'm ready to repent. I can see it now. And that is actually a blessed experience. Oh, so many reasons that I could give, I'm sure, and more besides. Yeah. Why there is not that steady joy, a more constancy of joy, a joy that can return even when we're vexed by the world, even when we're a little held back by our health, even when news has reached our ears that is distressing and needs attention, yet we can still find joy. Because notice, where does he say this? When he's just dealt with the one issue in the church in Philippi that was distressing. Yodia and Syntyche, this sad falling out that's happened here and the need for those around them to come and bring them back together in these things. He wants them to be of the same mind. You notice he says again in the Lord, out of the context of their relationship with him, to have him there. Because if he's the priority, everything else, the minor issues, well, we're pretty sure that's what they were, that it caused this division. Well, what are they in the light of who we serve and who we have as our saviour. So he comes to the rejoicing, having actually just put there rather depressing bit of news, a rather kind of ooh, discordant note in the life of the church. But he's not depressed by it, and he's hopeful in it. And he, from that there, which could make the church all this, which has been disturbing in the life of the church. But even with that, he says, 
you can still be rejoicing in the Lord. The bigger picture, the greater thing. That these things which can explode in terms of their importance and can sort of suck in so much time and energy of the church, put it in proportion. The people involved come to the same mind in the Lord. Place him there as, as Lord and then think, can we really fall out about that? Can we really behave like that and call ourselves Christians and then to put that thing there? That's what he is asking of them there. And so he can see beyond all that the Lord, ah, he will bring to pass a good thing here. We can rejoice in him always, always, even when you've got yoga and syntyche and the life of the church. No, that's no reason to not believe that at heart, a deep, essential relationship still intact. And indeed, if we've got that right, we'll help more with these Yodias and Syntyches and all of the other troubles that there are out there. A rejoicing heart brought into that context could be just the healing that's needed. Oh, if we can be people, depressed people and sad people, it will have an effect on others. The credibility is often that we too, even though our lives are not easy, and there are trials, but there's still the rejoicing. We're still looking to heaven, still trusting in Christ. Still able to say with satisfaction, even with a smile, yes, he's my saviour. And that may yet speak volumes. Those unconverted people out there, you have no reason really to rejoice. They've got no foundation, they've got no future, no hope, no Christ, no God in this world. And that we, if we're rejoicing, might actually yet be the cause of others rejoicing. That God uses us as a potent evangelistic tool in his in this needy needy world. May God bless us. May I hear the sermon I've preached and ask myself for my rejoicing as much as I should be, friends. But perhaps together as we serve the Lord, you here in Askin, me travelling back, I hope to arrive, Lord willing, in an hour or so after I leave, back in Christ. But together that Christ will be more and more precious to you, more and more precious to me, and that something more akin to rejoicing always will take possession of my soul and yours. Amen. Amen.